0: I love that we point each other to Jesus on a regular basis and this series is called Living in Jesus' Name. And uh, what our goal is, is to just look at the life of Jesus and to look how he lived it and then to try to figure out how can we connect our everyday lives to Jesus and who he is, to his power, to his presence. How can we invite that power, that healing, that presence into our everyday lives? Do you need that in your life today? What's going on in your life? I see a lot of heads nodding. Man, we need the power and the presence of God. Last week, Dan uh, led us in an exploration of just a very intense encounter that Jesus had. And uh, he was led into the wilderness and. There eventually Satan tempted him in powerful ways trying to bring him down. He hates God, he hates Jesus. He hates his followers. Satan the adversary, he's powerful. It says he roams around the earth seeking who he can devour and we're not strong enough to stand against him. We do not have what it takes, and so it is just essential, as we encouraged last week, that that we oppose him as Jesus did, in God's power, in God's truth. Today we're gonna talk about an area, and it's a weapon in Satan's arsenal, and he's pretty effective in rendering the church powerless because of this weapon. We're going to look at how Satan can use our treasures to infiltrate our hearts and lure us away from loving Jesus, lure us away from being really engaged in his mission on this earth. You know, there's a lot of health indicators in our lives, but you know, sometimes we feel really healthy and we we get blood work done and we go to the doctor for an appointment and they say, Man, your your glucose is, is sky high. You're you know, you gotta deal with this and you know, if, if we don't become aware of that, if we don't deal with it, it can have very severe, severe impacts on our lives. Or we can be feeling good and go in for that that physical exam and you know, they take our blood pressure and they're saying, My goodness, your blood pressure is way too high. Those kind of things, if they're not dealt with, if we go unaware or we're not willing to deal with them, can have a very serious impact upon our our physical health. Our topic today, treasures, is just like that. And if we're not realizing the grip that treasures can have on us, it can cause severe spiritual health issues and I think we can see how dangerous of a weapon our treasures are in Satan's arsenal by the consistent attention that God's inspired word places upon our treasures, our possessions. The Bible devotes well over 2,000 verses to this topic and, and that's more than it, it gives and pays, focuses on important areas like prayer and faith how we view our possessions, how we view our treasures is so important that that Jesus, when he walked on the face of this earth, spent about 15% of his teaching time as recorded in the word upon this area of our possessions, of our treasures. It's more time than he devoted to topics like heaven and hell combined. And I think we'd all agree, heaven and hell are, are important topics Jesus focused even more on our treasures. I think the combination of the fact that the Bible prioritizes our treasures combined with the reality that we live in a very materialistic society should put us on, on high alert, should calls every one of us who are followers of Jesus to take a serious look at our treasures and and the grip that our treasures have on us and what are we doing with our treasures and our possessions? What do we value most here on this planet? I think as we think about Satan who is that roaring lion seeking to devour us and the importance of treasures. Yes, that puts us on, on high alert and I, I think it's easy to understand why Satan would hate us so much. He was the most magnificent created being ever and yet pridefully decided to assert himself above God. He wanted to be in charge, he got cast out of heaven, he lost everything, and beyond that, there isn't even a small gold nugget waiting for him in heaven, there's nothing, he, he lost it all. And, and then he decides, I, you know, I, I'm gonna try to disturb God's creation, and he convinces Adam and Eve to sin against God, not to totally trust God. And as a result, there was the fall, there was sin, there was separation between God's creation and himself, a celebration for Satan, no doubt. And then God, (laughs) out of love, sends his son Jesus to die for those very people that he had deceived so that they could be restored, so they could be brought back into a relationship with him. And not only that, as Satan watches this unfold, God declares these people, his children, and he gives them this incredible wealth, riches, inheritance, joint heirs even with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was not easy to watch. high alert <laughs> the enemy the adversary trying to rob our affections away from god trying to get us off course off mission hoping that we trip over our treasures luke 12:15 says beware <laughs> beware <laughs> Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Our materialistic society can suck us into living life like this is our final destination. And Picture yourself if you're going on a plane ride and you're... you're, three-hour flight and, and you get on there and the plane takes off, levels off, and people then are free to move about. And the person, a total stranger next to you, gets their carry-on bag and starts unloading stuff. And and they have family pictures and they're like trying to tack them to the seat in front of them. And they have a scented candle and a little battery-operated lamp and they, you know, they're you putting curtains up and, and they're just like decorating this place. And you're looking at them, are you crazy? This, you know, we're, we're on a plane. It's a three-hour flight. This is not our destination. And yet millions are being spent regularly to keep us focused on our plane ride. And if in that process we get lured in and we lose sight of eternity, if we lose sight of Jesus, we'll end up making short-sighted lifestyle decisions. It's going to result in us wasting a lot of kingdom resources. Keep God from accomplishing what he wants through us and the things that he's entrusted to us. Since our plane ride on earth is so very short, and our greatest certainty when we're born onto this planet is that unless Jesus comes back first, someday we're going to die It seems to make sense that we would live our lives focused on what A.W. Tozer calls our long tomorrow instead of the short plane ride here. Focus on values, focused on eternal values, our forever future. Now I don't know how many minutes I'm into this right now, six minutes maybe, and maybe I should have said this sooner. But I asked the question, why might a sermon about treasures make us feel uncomfortable? Why might that stir more emotions than some other topics in us? Some of the reasons, and I'm sure there's others, it can be partly the Lebanon County culture, and it's certainly not exclusive to Lebanon County, but there can be that strong sense, uh, my money is my business, it's not your business. Don't you dare go there. It could be just over the years being so turned off by what we can see on TV and maybe you visited a meeting or two, but that TV evangelist getting rich off of poor people living in a mansion, thousand dollar suit, lots of bling, Thought of going to Salvation Army and trying to replicate that and coming out here today looking like that. The whole thought of some twisted prosperity doctrine that if you're not rolling in money, you lack faith or you're not asking in the right way or you need to give more so I can get a new Lamborghini. <laughs> There's reasons that hearing the topic of possessions and money can make us uncomfortable. Some can be very legitimate budget concerns. It's a tough economy and you could be sitting there right now saying I can't even pay my bills. I wanna talk about that a little later. I can't even pay my bills and please no more guilt. (laughs) The load's heavy enough. For some, talking about possessions makes us uncomfortable because our treasures really do own us. We've bought into the big lie that, that the more we have, the happier we'll be, and, and so talk about them can go against what we're valuing and placing our, our happiness on. If our treasures own us, we won't invest them well, and that brings me to the second main point this morning, investing our treasures, and a read through the New Testament makes it clear that what we do with our resources is a reliable indicator of the condition of our heart. It's like our blood pressure can tell us something about our health blood test can tell us something about our health and, and scripture makes it clear that, that there is a, a link, inseparable link between our, our possessions, our finances, our treasures and our spiritual health. Jesus weighs in in Matthew chapter six. He says do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It says, don't do that. Here's what you should do. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so... So why shouldn't we store up treasures here on earth? It's not because treasures are bad, it's because investing in earthly treasures, stacking up treasures here on earth is a bad investment. They simply won't last. Not even our our latest, greatest, newest toys are going to last very long. All of our treasures, (laughs) All those things that we can value so highly, so the things we invest in are either going to end up in a landfill and be completely worthless or they'll end up in heaven and have lasting value forever. And Jesus says what? He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And and when you think about that, not storing up treasures on earth and making everything about the plane ride, and and rather storing up treasures in heaven that have eternal value, as you think about that, to what degree does that investment model excite you? You know, the reality is most people dread more than anything the thought of dying, the thought of that time when we're going to leave this earth and everything's going to change. And and it's all about our focus. It's all about what we value most. and, And in many cases, we unknowingly do bow down to the God of materialism to varying degrees so temporal things can dominate our minds. And again, it's easy to buy into that Big lie, more treasure equals more happiness. So, so we build bigger and bigger piles and it takes a lot of resource to do that. It takes a lot of our time to do that. If that's what we buy into, <laughs> then tragically, dying means losing all the stuff we consider valuable, leaving it all behind. But Jesus so much wants to recapture our hearts, and he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also... He loves us, he's deeply invested himself in us. He longs for us to, be, to fully love him back and, and he knows that our hearts are always going to end up following our treasures. Our hearts will always follow our treasure. What we treasure is where our hearts are. He wants our hearts. He knows that if we love him enough to entrust him with our treasures, then he's captured our hearts, he's, he's got all of us. And so here in this passage, Jesus is giving us the ultimate insider's trading tip. <laughs> you know, I'm coming back, and, and all your stuff that, that, that is just earthly treasure isn't going to matter at all. And so the tip is, do this. I'm telling you in advance, Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. They'll be secure there. They will last forever and be enjoyed forever there. And I ask you at this point, where's your treasure going to end up? Where are your treasures being invested right now? We're prone, when it comes to our treasure, to to hold the resources God has entrusted us with, make them like they're our own in in a clenched fist. Imagine, imagine what could happen if you loosened your grip in order to join Jesus in his mission, what that would look like and how that would impact eternity. This last section I want to talk a little bit about how we can cultivate a generous heart and look at a really good example of that. I hope that thus far you're hearing that God isn't after our money, He He doesn't want our money. What he wants is our love, our devotion. He wants our heart, and he really doesn't need our stuff. Uh, Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. He owns everything. What he wants is our heart. And, and, and he only begins to get our hearts. We, we only begin to understand what it means to, 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 to respond to him with our treasures when, when we start to understand the great lengths that he went to to rescue us from sin. When we begin to understand the, the sacrifice he made so that our relationship with him could be restored. At some point, many of you have said, Jesus, you heard the gospel, you heard God loves you, you heard Jesus sent his only begotten son to this earth to die for you, and at some point, many of us have said, I trust you, I believe you, I believe that's true, and I wanna trust Jesus as, as my savior. But those facts can just become these facts that we know. But it's so much more than that. I, I am lost apart from Jesus. I have no hope apart from the generosity of Jesus. I've got no chance. And it's only because of his love. His being willing to come and die for me. Those are just facts. That's the living God and how he feels about us. And we're not going to get generosity until we start to let that sink in. That we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. It's not my stuff. I'm his steward. He's entrusted me with things to be used for his honor and for his glory. We only begin to understand that. We only hear an awakening of generosity in our hearts when those details that we say we've committed our lives to are absolutely watching over us. And we know that's the only reason we have a chance, the only reason we have a shot and we've got this short plane ride. And we can either decorate around our seat, (laughs) or we can store up treasures in heaven. Who said that? It wasn't a rich guy in a suit with bling. It was Jesus. (laughs) It was Jesus. It's not about, when we think about giving in Jesus' name, which is part of living in Jesus' name. It's not about compulsion. It's not about, oh, I feel guilty. It's not about meeting dreaded obligations. It's not about trying to gain merit. We can never do enough. We could never give enough to come close to deserving the love of Jesus is not about impressing people. Generosity is a spontaneous response that springs from realizing the great generosity God has lavished on us. And we can see this clearly in Paul's account of the Macedonian believers as they showed us just very improbable generosity, 2 Corinthians Chapter eight, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled, they are filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. See, Paul, had a transformation take place in his life and he went from a hater of Jesus and a persecutor of Christians to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and it changed everything about him and so he went everywhere telling everyone about the gospel and and he shared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in Macedonia and, and the gospel took root in places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and God's generous grace took root and transformed lives and they became conduits of generosity. And that was such an unlikely outcome because what does it say? It says they are being tested in the very midst of their considering to give and giving generously. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. Literally, they were under great pressure like grapes being crushed underfoot their reality every day being tested by the, 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 the pressure of grinding poverty caused by the ravages of war, the, the Romans coming in and plundering them, being forced to pay high taxes, the persecution they faced day after day, some being taken into slavery. It's all they could do to go day to day, today, life was hard. Under this great duress, they did what most would consider undoable, unthinkable. They joyfully gave a generous gift. Jumping in at verse three. For I can testify, Paul says, that they gave, these believers, these poor believers, gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem who at that time were suffering. They so wanted to join Jesus in his mission. No matter how big the sacrifice, human reasoning will not lead us to that outcome, to that conclusion. There's only one way this could make sense for them or for us. Verse five, they even did more than we had hoped for their first action. Here it is, their first action, the first step in this whole process was to give themselves to the Lord, surrender to Him and to us just as God wanted them to do. It says here, Paul and his friends, they didn't see this coming. And it transpired because God was real in the lives of these believers and they were blown away by his generosity and so they surrendered themselves to his will and joined him in his mission, even at great sacrifice. Generosity again is rooted in recognizing and receiving God's generosity It's rooted in recognizing and receiving his amazing grace. Verse nine, this is a key verse. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty... He could make you rich. And there it is. (laughs) Their hearts were truly captured by Jesus' generosity. In Romans 1.14, it says the word that Jesus became human and made his home among you. He left great riches to become poor, even to the point of death on the cross and all the shame that came with that. And then in verse 16, it says, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. One translation says, grace upon grace, we from his abundance have received one gracious blessing after another. This is the ultimate motivation for giving, there's none greater, there must be no other. Jesus in that extreme act of generosity left everything, became poor for me, became poor for you. And so, It makes sense if I really get that and I really believe that and I've really trusted Jesus who's done that, that it would only make sense that I would surrender all that I am, all that he's blessed me with and lay it out on the table and say, God, here I am. All that I am, I am available to you. Anybody here upset that I'm talking about this? Raise your hand if you're really mad right now. Fighting, walking out. (laughs) Thank you. Deceit is wonderful sometimes. I wanna talk about some practical steps to giving in Jesus' name. What are some practical things we should be looking at? If we're a follower of Jesus, if he's transformed us, if we're beginning to understand his great generosity, what steps can we take? And and I have seven of them here, it won't take long. Invest your temporal treasures in things that will last for eternity. There was a young missionary and his wife and some other couples that, that went into a very dangerous place feeling led to share the gospel and, and, and shortly before he got martyred in the process, they were barely started. Though God used that seed to, to do an amazing work but a man named Jim Elliott said he is no fool. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He lost his life, he gained so much. The kingdom of God gained so much, advanced so much. He was not a fool. So I just simply ask you, think about your treasures. And boy, if they're treasures, we treasure them. Think about your treasures and think, some treasures that are just simply labeled earthly treasures, how could they become eternal treasures that you store up in heaven to advance the kingdom of God. Let God speak to you in specific ways. I think there's something for all of us to hear from him. Number two, if you're not tithing, I encourage you to begin there. A Tithe is 10% of our income. I will tell you, for Diane and I, for all our years of marriage and before we got married, that that is not, we don't even consider that our money. It doesn't even get considered. It doesn't matter what ca- a car breaks down. It doesn't matter if we need this or we need that. That's just untouchable. It's, it's just not ours. It says in Leviticus 27:30, "Thus, all the tithe of the land, very agricultural society, all." Thus, all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. A tithe, 10%. It is holy to the Lord, it is set apart to Him. It shouldn't even be considered ours. In the New Testament, The Old Testament tithe is never rescinded, but as we've got glimpses of here today, the teaching in the New Testament emphasizes being generous, generous with what God has entrusted us with. That can lead us many different directions, and and at times, certainly for many, beyond a tithe. John D. Rockefeller stated, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. In the process, folks, as followers of Jesus, being generous will bring us to the experience of great joy and great blessing. Number three uh teach and model for your children how to be generous and there's a picture up there i believe that we i think very similar to that we bought our girls a bank like that when they were quite young and and it gave them three different places to deposit their money basically you can save some of your money you should uh you can put some money in this middle thing and spend it how you want and mostly birthday presents for dad, and you can, and the other one's just just a tithing 10% to the church. So at a very young age, they started to get that concept that, that my money is important and, and the way I use it. I encourage you to just model generosity as a parent. I've said this often, a whole lot more is caught than taught. <laughs> They're watching you. Little eyes, it's scary. Those little eyes are watching you. More is caught than taught from what they see. Number four, uh, church budget. We passed our church budget budget last week and uh, without one no vote. And uh, But yet, honestly, it's a step of faith because we didn't quite meet budget this year, and our budget has increased some by necessity. And it is so important that that we trust God and support the ministries that he's doing. I could name areas of ministry that we did not allow in this year's budget because of financial restraints. One of those is just uh, training interns and it's a beautiful program and we've done it each year and we're gonna do it again this summer, but there was a real desire to expand that amount so that young people could make a little wage as they're being trained in ministry. It's a beautiful program. We said no to it. There are other things we would love to do that we said no to because of the restraint. So I wanna throw something out to you that someone said years ago in, a, in an annual meeting, and, and it would be just increase are giving by $5 a week. And, and if just those who are all regularly giving, this isn't talking about people who give sporadically or haven't at all, if just those who regularly give would increase their giving by $5 a week, this would result in an over $100,000 increase in giving. And the things that we have cut out, that would be a mute point, And it would not be the struggle at the end of the year. And so that's something to consider. Number five, recognize that what sometimes feels like poverty to us really isn't. Folks, we are the rich ones. (laughs) We are the rich ones. How many of you have been to a third world country, spent some time there? I I will never get it out of my head and out of my heart. I've done it multiple times now. And I, I have seen what poverty is. It has been rare that I have seen poverty in America that came close to that though there are little pockets of it here and there. But in most cases, what we consider, I am poor, oh, I wish I had more, we are the rich ones. And we need to thank God for that. And if you get a chance to go on a mission trip that takes you into that kind of environment, I, I think it will change you for the rest of your life. Number six. As was announced earlier, there's a seminar, a connection class coming up uh, beginning next Sunday. It's going to meet second service in room A7. I have no idea where that is. We'll wander around till we find it. But there'll just be some good practical advice. If you say, I'd really like to know more about this and how to use my money in a way that is pleasing to God, I think you'll get some important and valuable instruction there And the last one here. uh, If you're struggling financially, or know of someone in our church family who is struggling financially, please let us know. Now these things are done very confidentially, and so we can't tell stories, but I want to tell you, there are some happy, wonderful stories. And so we take special offerings, and we call it our Benevolence Fund, And when we become aware of a need of someone who is is part of this church family, uh, we move to help alleviate that. And so please let us know. Again, many wonderful stories. As I close here today, I'm gonna ask the worship team to start making their way front here. I hope you know that I don't want your money, okay? I don't want your money. And I don't want a Lamborghini. I got a 2010 Honda Civic, and it's doing me well. (laughs) But I do want you to connect. I do want you to connect to the generous heart of Jesus. I want you to, if you've never truly trusted him and said, I want to follow you, I want that more than anything for you. And if you've done that, in this world system, This materialistic society has sucked you in and is robbing you of generosity and joy. Man, I want that for you very badly because that is the best and sweetest spot you can be. That's what Jesus tells me. I want you to connect to a generous heart, the generous heart of Jesus, so that you will experience the exhilarating joy of being generous so that you will make wise investments and support Jesus in his advancement of his kingdom. I want you to connect to the generous heart of Jesus so that you can make deposits of treasure in heaven where you will enjoy them forever. You will see the reality of them forever and you will have no regrets. Let's bow for a word of prayer, Father God. Father God, I pray that you will keep working on my heart and I pray that you will expose treasures that that I'm using in wrong ways, in ways that can advance your kingdom. And God, I just pray you'll help me to respond in obedience to you. And God, I pray every one of us here, we've received this differently. Some are, hallelujah, it's about time he says something like this. And, And others are like, man, not sure I'm coming back here again but God I do pray that every person here today that they will understand your generosity and if they haven't responded in childlike faith to you Father God I pray draw them convict them bring them to you Father and God for those of us that have made that decision And and we're just finding ourselves bowing down to the wrong things. Placing our happiness in the wrong things. Acting like the plane ride is the final destination. God, it's not. We know it's not. And so God, I just pray you'll move on each of our hearts to be generous. That you might rejoice. That you might be honored. That your kingdom might be advanced, Father. That's what I want. For me, that's what I want for this church family. So God, do that work. God, we just respond to your generosity by saying that we want to give you our hearts and and our souls. Take all of us. We want to live for you. We want to live for you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Stand together. Let's sing together. This is my desire to honor you. All with all my heart, I worship you. all i have within me i give you praise all that i adore is in you lord i give you my heart give you my soul i live for you alone every breath that i take every moment i'm awake lord have your way would you sing that again this is my desire to honor
0: I want to close with just a, a verse that I read a little while ago. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. We know, this is what we know. The generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make us rich. Boy, we are rich. We are rich in everything that matters. Celebrate that, will you? Celebrate how rich we are because of the grace, the generosity of God. Everything that matters has been taken care of and is secure. Celebrate that, live in that reality. Let it wash over you. Let it produce in you a heart of generosity that will bring great blessing to you and those around you, okay? Father God, continue to work on my heart. God, you know last night we were talking to each other a lot (laughs) through the night. I love that, Father. Just continue reaching out to me. Lord, I just pray that every one of us here standing today will have A back and forth relationship, a conversation, a love relationship, a growing intimacy, a sense of your great generosity and blessing. May we walk in the victory and the joy of that. Oh Lord, then we are at the best place to bring you honor and to bring you glory. And God, I pray for our dear brother George Oh, Lord, continue to have your hand upon him. We love him. God, please have your healing hand upon him in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you have questions, please love to talk to you. If you're really angry, wait till next week when you calm down. Hey, sermon guide today, it's always filled with lots of good stuff. There's extra good stuff packed in the end of that. Next steps, do it. It'll be challenging. God bless.